All right, this is uh, James 1, starting at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the very word of God. There's a coffee shop in our city that opened nearly 20 years ago, designed to provide a place for vulnerable people and people in recovery to hang out and find community. Opened as a, quote, grand experiment by a former Christian missionary, the idea was to put into practice Jesus's admonitions to demonstrate love and acceptance to the least of these. Sounds like somebody is taking this passage in James seriously. But the owner says that she has lost her religion and does not, quote, ascribe to any religious set of beliefs or prescribed practices. Still, she says she sees value in the teaching and practice of love that Jesus, as well as other religious and social leaders throughout history have taught, believing that these are, quote, the only thing that saves us as human beings. This dear woman may say she has lost her religion. Some of us would no doubt be quick to judge her for this. But... If we're honest, she could probably say, in light of the text before us this morning, that she has a much more real religion than many of us. Religion. That word may be quite slippery in our days. But it is the word that James uses in verses 26 and 27. This word that James uses is a general term, basically describing any kind of worship. When James says in verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious, James does not have in mind that some people may think themselves irreligious or having no faith at all. That's a modern conception. The problem in our day is that the word religion has come to refer to the belief in the divine and one's private, personal beliefs about the supernatural. 
But that's, again, primarily a development in, in the meaning of the word religion since the time of the Protestant Reformation. When the word, what the word means for James and what the word has historically meant would be much more like our word worldview. Everyone has a worldview. Everyone has a religion. And James is eager for Christians to practice their religion completely and consistently. Why? Not only, of course, because he believes it's the true religion, but also because he believes that the Christian faith, the Christian religion, is valuable. The Christian religion is real religion. And when it is practiced rightly, consistently, completely, it brings real value into the world. Real salvation, even, James says, into the world. In our passage before us this morning, James contends that real religion promotes the justice of God, brings into the world the blessing of God, and demonstrates the salvation of God. The justice of God, the blessing of God, and the salvation of God. So first, Christians should completely and consistently practice their faith because when we do that, we promote the justice of God for the world. In verse 19, James offers a memorable proverb. If it's the first time you heard it, you've already got it memorized. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. But notice in verse 20, James gives a reason for Christians to live by this proverb. He says, because, for, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of, righteousness of God. Now, the word righteousness is a word that has, in the, the Greek word righteousness, has many different ways it could be translated. And here, I'm going to make the argument that the word justice is the better translation for what James is getting at. James says when Christians live by this Christian proverb, they promote the justice of God into the world, into a world that we all know is plagued by all kinds of injustice. The proverb we find in verse 19 is paralleled by what we would find in the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. Proverbs 10, 19 says this, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. It's good and wise to learn to be a good listener and to speak only after listening carefully. Some of you are better at that than others of us. But this is something that I think most people would agree is common sense. So also is Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Here the connection is made, notice, between our words and human anger. And James, who demonstrates here again his sagely abilities to take Proverbs of the Old Testament and in light of Jesus, restate them in new and fresh ways, puts it all together here. When we concentrate on listening more, speaking less, 
we don't just show common sense. We bring a real sense of God's justice into a world of injustice. You see, the human impulse is to respond to injustice with anger. We get angry because we are displeased. We see an injustice and we want to fix it. And there's something good and right about that. Something is wrong if we stare straight at bald injustice and are not agitated and moved by it. Jesus was. When a diseased man came to Jesus for healing on the Sabbath day, the Pharisees took the opportunity to accuse him of violating God's law. Jesus asked them, well, which is more lawful? What's the more lawful behavior to do on the Sabbath day? To do good or to harm? To save life or to kill? And the answer is obvious, is it not? But the silence of the Pharisees proved their carelessness about the diseased man. And Mark chapter 3, verse 5 says that Jesus looked at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. They were not concerned about God's justice. So it is right to want the righteousness of God, to desire the justice that God wants done in his world. Anger may be a sign that this is exactly what we want. But the reason James has given us this proverb, urging us to be slow to anger, is because, he says again, verse 20, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If you want justice then human anger, your anger and mine, is not going to be the way to see it done. But what about righteous anger? There is, of course, such a thing. The psalmist says that because God is a righteous judge, Psalm 7, 11, he feels indignation every day. Feeling indignation at injustice is an indication that we are God's image bearers. It's an indication that we, like God, care that his world is ordered by justice. The problem with righteous anger is that only God can have an anger that is truly and always righteous. As any honest human will admit, will you be honest this morning? If we were to let our anger be the determinative factor of what is right and just, we would only add problem to problem to problem. Israel is ruthlessly attacked, and so they ruthlessly attack back. And so it goes on and on and on and on. At what point does our righteous indignation cross over the line into more injustice, more unrighteousness? One of the reasons, by the way, why many people stumble over the fact that the Bible speaks about God's anger or God's wrath is because we find it so disconcerting in our own reactions. We know all too well how unjust and unrighteous our anger can quickly become and often is. But the difference is that for God, anger is not one of his attributes. He's not an angry God in the way that you and I know anger. His anger is his righteous judgment on sin. And so, for God, 
his wrath, and we see that referred to in the Bible, is always, listen, always an expression of perfect love. The cross of Jesus is the prime example of this glorious reality. Yes, the cross is a display of God's awesome wrath, but don't you know, brothers and sisters, you know this. The cross is also at the very same time a glorious display of his awesome love. Christians then must live by James's wisdom. As those who are called to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we must confront our anger. Feeling angry is one thing, but using our anger as a tool to effect God's justice in the world will never work. Never. The world is not well served by angry Christians. But these two verses have a positive side to them. The world is well served by Christians who are quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The world is well served by Christians who put their effort into, in the words of Romans 12, living peaceably with all, leaving vengeance to God, and overcoming evil with good. You see, for Christians, those who seek to practice real religion, the issue is never about staying away from bad things. Let's, let's mature in our faith a little bit. Real Christianity is positive, hopeful, and redemptive. It is not negative, pessimistic, judgmental. Insofar as that is how the world sees us and a moment of honesty together, that is, by and large, our reputation in the world today, we've got some work to do. We've got a lot of work to do. Essentially, as James now tells us in verses 21 to 25, we got to get to work. We have to get busy. We need to be, he says here over and over again, doers of the word. This is the kind of thing, I'm just warning you, makes a lot of Christians like us really uncomfortable. That's why Martin Luther had an allergy to the book of James. Some of us do as well. But I'm just going to preach the Bible to you this morning. Would that be all right with you? Would that be okay? All right. Okay, so let's do it. The one who is no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, verse 25 says, will be blessed in his doing. The practice of real religion will bring second, the blessing of God into the world. Oh, the world needs the blessing of God. So verse 21 is James's version of Paul's put off, put on language in Ephesians 4. And what both apostles mean is that Christians are now to live like, wait for it, Christians. One of the meanings of baptism, do you remember your baptism? You're supposed to remember it. Sorry, that's a Baptist plug right there. Okay, so one of the meanings of baptism 
the Christian initiation sacrament is that we have been made new, called into a new way of life. That's what your baptism means. We who call ourselves Christians must leave behind, verse 21 says, uh, the filthy garments, like being slow to speak, or slow to hear, quick to speak, quick to anger. You've got to leave that behind, and you've got to put on the new clothing as we receive with meekness the implanted word. So this issue of Christian living, Christian ethics, and morality and behavior is no doubt controversial, even among us Christians. Hypocrites and legalists in our midst make us wary of talking about these things. But brothers and sisters, the gospel of Jesus is not simply the answer to the question of your destiny after you die. When we make the Christian gospel only about that, we become quite confused about exactly where the issues of Christian character and conduct fit into the picture. We must learn that the gospel of Jesus is not simply about whether or not we are counted as part of God's family, but also about what it now means for us that are a part of God's family. Getting this straight is so important to understanding the New Testament, and it is most certainly critical to understanding the book of James. God has work for us to do. This implanted word that he speaks about in verse 21 is a reference to the promise of the new covenant. When God said in Jeremiah 31, 33, that he would put his law within his people, write it on their hearts. Now, come on, we're gonna take communion in a few minutes. We're gonna remember that the new covenant has been inaugurated. We are now in the day of this new covenant with God's law written on our hearts. Assured now that our exile is over, that the forgiveness of sins is secured, remembered no more, as Jeremiah 31, 34 says. The issue is now for us about the way of living, the new way of living, the new way of being human that we must now take up as members of God's new covenant people. Now, what this new way of life looks like is what James mentions next when he urges Christians to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now, he doesn't go on to tell us precisely what kinds of behaviors Christians need to take up, nor even which kinds of behaviors we need to put off. What he focuses on here is the Christian's relationship to the word of God, which is what will produce the outward Christian form that is to be expected. What will lead us to the right behaviors and actions that bring the blessing of God? The answer, the word of God implanted in our hearts. But James warns we must not only be hearers of the word. Of course, as Paul would say in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing. And James, we're gonna find out, leaves no room for the false dichotomy that asks whether it is hearing or doing the word of God that matters. It's a false dichotomy. They both matter. But here James targets those who would be content with hearing the word only. And let's be honest, 
this is a particular danger that we Christians can fall into. A person who does that, who hears the word but doesn't do it, might look like they are a committed Christian, but here's what James says. He says their religion would be worthless, a false religion, just another form of idolatry. James says they are like those who look in a mirror and then go away forgetting what they saw. You probably looked in a mirror today. You remember what you saw there? (laughs) You all look great. The contrast that he sets up in verses 23 to 25 in a vivid way is the contrast between those who interact with the Christian faith in a superficial way over against those who ponder the acts of God, record in the scriptures so that they make a lasting impact on their life. It's not always obvious to us how the word of God is supposed to impact our lives. Being a doer of the word is not as simple as getting a new set of instructions to follow. Some Christians, eager not to be hearers only, pursue a certain kind of holiness, which it comes off feeling like self-righteous judgmentalism. That's not what we're after. By the way, usually those kinds of people no longer have any questions about the biblical text. They read it and they just know, like, this is what it means every time. They can tell you what Christians are supposed to do every situation. Be quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, for many other Christians, the problem is not that they are flippant about the word, content with being a hearer only, refusing to do. Many simply just don't know what the Bible is telling them to do. I got to go to work tomorrow. What, what, what am I supposed to do? And this is okay because verse 25 reminds us that the doer is the one who looks and keeps on looking. This is the path to being a doer who acts rather than a hearer who forgets. It's a lifetime project. You've read the Bible all the way through? Great. You know what you got to do? You better do it again and again and again. You got to be soaked in the story of God if you're going to be a doer and not just a hearer. But make no mistake, The reason for doing the word, let's get back to this. The reason for doing the word is because it carries with it the promise of God's blessing. You want a blessing from God? Does that sound good? The doer who acts, James says, again, I just told you, I'm just going to preach the Bible today. The doer who acts will be blessed in his doing. And that's what Jesus said too, Luke 11, 28. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, the word blessed is the word that we find in the Beatitudes. In New Testament terms, it signifies a great reversal that has come upon the world through Jesus and the arrival of the kingdom of God. For the Christian, real religion is all about learning to live right now in anticipation of how the world will one day be. 
blessing of verse 25 then is not something that comes in the future. The blessing here is not because of the doing. Look what it says. But in the doing, the blessing comes now. Christians who practice real religion experience the blessing of God as they do it. You see, the Christian religion is all about God's intentions for his world and our place within it. We don't read the scriptures then only to find out how bad we are and what can be done about that moral problem. That's part of the story, of course. But notice that the word here is called, it's going to make you uncomfortable. It's called the perfect law, the law of liberty. The word apart from Christ could only condemn us. You got that part right. Praise God. But the word that comes to us first through Christ is now able to do what it is designed to do. So you didn't, you didn't hear that. So I'm just going to prove this to you and you better listen. Romans chapter 8 tells us that we are no longer condemned, and here's what it says. Romans 8, 3. God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and condemned sin in the flesh of the Messiah. Amen, hallelujah. No condemnation. But that's not the end of the story. He did this, verse 4 says, in order that. Here's why God did that. Here's why God set you free from the condemning power of sin. He did this, verse 4 says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is new covenant language. It's this life of liberty lived in step with God's own Holy Spirit and through his word that is guaranteed to bring the blessing of God. After all, this is the word that no longer serves to condemn. As verse 21 said, it is the word that is able to save your souls. Now, let's make this plain. The word souls in English means something entirely different than it does in the New Testament. Souls here simply means life. The salvation talked about here is not about your disembodied existence, but about your whole person. This word is able to save your life because the life you live now will not end. Resurrection is our guarantee. It's what we look forward to. It is our hope. The Christian hope is that death does not end life as we know it in our bodies. And this, brothers and sisters, is not just good news for you and me. It's good news for the world. You see, as Christians practice real religion, they demonstrate, lastly, the salvation of God. They reflect the real image of God into the world, showing the world what God is like and what God's intentions for the world are all about. Our reputation among the world, insofar 
is it is a reputation that has misunderstood who God is and what he is like, full of steadfast, welcoming, healing love. This is our fault. We're just hearers of the word and not doers. What are God's intentions with the world? It's a good question to ask yourself. And let me just give you the answer in the words of Jesus himself. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. If the world hears our gospel story as God sent his son into the world to condemn the world, then we're not communicating the message. So our calling, James says, the work that we have to do is to demonstrate to the world in both word and in deed that this is what the Christian religion is all about. I'm on a mission. Are you? I want to try to set it straight. We Christians are muddled about the Christian gospel. No wonder the world is muddled. So join me in this mission now. The mission of God is not about escaping from the world by getting into heaven just in time before God burns it all up. Salvation in biblical terms is not about souls in heaven, but about bodies fully awake, fully alive in God's new creation. Okay. Just park here for a while. Here, just, okay, let's look at what James says. Verses 26 and 27, James sets up a contrast that we Christians really need to take seriously. If a person, he says, thinks he is religious, but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. It's the Bible, Okay? It's the apostle of Jesus who said that, not me, but just. Now, James is not analyzing all religions. His interest is in the Christian one. So we could paraphrase verse 26 this way. If a person thinks he is a Christian, but can't control his tongue, he has deceived himself. His Christianity is worthless. And the reason James can say that is because real religion, real Christianity, is not worthless. What this person thinks he has is not the real deal. He is deceived. He has stunningly thought he was practicing Christianity, but in fact, he is just practicing some other idolatrous faith that does no good. We sang this morning, oh Lord, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Lord, we cast down our idols, you see? We can call ourselves Christians But if what we say is not being matched by what we do, 
then we have just used the word Christianity as another way of describing an idol. Oh, yes, it might do him some good. He may get a lot out of it. It might give him real value, but it is worthless because it brings no, so, no blessing. It gives no hope to the world. It is not the religion that saves the world. What James is saying here is that a person's religion is determined by their practice, the tangible evidence of a person's faith. No wonder Martin Luther got a little uncomfortable. But James is going to come right back to this in chapter 2. Are you going to hang around long enough to get there? It's in two weeks. We'll talk about this. Now, James could have used some other indicator other than the tongue, but the saving or condemning power of the tongue makes it a good example of the point he is making. He'll return to this topic in chapter 3, where he will point out that the power, the power of blessing and the power of cursing is the power that comes out of our mouths. So here in verse 27, he quickly pivots from worthless religion to pure religion, undefiled religion, the kind of religion that offers real value to the world. So he mentions orphans and widows because in James's day, these were the two, two of the most vulnerable groups of people and, by the way, still are in many parts of the world, maybe even among us. God's people in the Old Testament were to be characterized as the kinds of people who care for the vulnerable. Exodus 22, verse 22. And James says that this is what is also to characterize God's people in the new covenant era as well. This hasn't changed. Since God cares for the destitute, God's people must do the same. Now, that's about as practical as it gets, isn't it? And certainly would include in our day the call to care for immigrants, the disabled, the homeless, yes, the unborn, as well as caring for the poor and impoverished places even outside our own community. This is the religion that saves the world. So we should live like it's true. And this, of course, has serious, serious political implications that both of our major political parties get entirely wrong. Now look, James is not saying that if you want to be a Christian, you have to first go put in your volunteer service time. Faith in Christ is what makes you a Christian. But James will argue in no uncertain words in chapter two, genuine faith in Christ is not only about your own spiritual condition, but about the whole life condition of all God's image bearers. Faith by itself, without real world impactful works of faith, is dead. That's James 2.17. It's worthless. But real religion is not worthless. And history tells the tale. The Christian gospel 
spawned a revolution that remade the world as honest historians must admit. It's not secularism that gave us hospitals, that inspired people to stay with the sick during the plague, that made the education of all children a calling rather than a source of a lucrative vocation. It was Christianity. What might our risen living Lord Jesus have for us to do in our day, in our community, to bring the hope of his salvation to the world? If the kingdom of God has come with Jesus, and if we believe that, then we must also believe that God has given us work to do that can be real progress against evil and injustice. Now, lastly, notice real religion also involves keeping oneself unstained from the world. We can't bring salvation to the world if we become just like the world. Faith in Christ, the worship of Christ is indispensable. By the way, this is what our dear coffee shop owner gets wrong. Even though she gets right what so many of us get wrong. I guess we all need to look to Jesus. I guess we all need to turn away from our idols. And maybe if we had that humility, we would be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. We will not bring about real progress for God's kingdom if we go do it in our own power. If you heard this sermon and said, okay, I gotta get busy or God's gonna get me, you ch- let's talk. You've missed the whole point. <laughs> but maybe that's my fault. In the face of so much worthless religion in our day, it will be a tempting proposition to abandon the worship of Jesus like this coffee shop owner in our city shows us. But real religion can only be practiced by whole Christians who, as James says in the next verse, hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and then act accordingly. Faith along with works of faith are what change the world. That and that alone is real religion. And that is what the Christian gospel is all about. Let's pray. Now, Father in heaven, you gotta help us, Lord. It feels like we are so prone to fall off the cliff one way or the other. As this dear coffee shop owner would show us, it's so tempting in the face of worthless religion to abandon faith in Jesus and just turned our own power and works. But for too long, we've told the gospel story in a way that would just blot the book of James out of our Bibles. We've got to find the true gospel, the real religion that promotes the justice of God, that brings the blessing of God and demonstrates the salvation of God, what God has come to do to save the world, not to condemn it. The world is condemned already. What the world needs is salvation. 
what we need is salvation. So turn our hearts. We ask humbly but boldly turn our hearts to Jesus and to Jesus alone so that we might be whole Christians and make real progress in this world in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen.